Welcome to another edition of the Thinking Spatially podcast, the Thinking Spatially podcast series where we think spatially across space and across time about key issues on our planet. Hi folks, Joseph Kursky here with you to talk about what is GIS or Geographic Information Systems. Well, there are several ways to define it. First of all, GIS is part of the geotechnologies. Back in 2004, the U.S. Department of Labor identified three hot fields for the 21st century. Nanotechnologies, biotechnologies, and geotechnologies. GIS, along with GPS, web mapping, and remote sensing, are part of the geotechnologies. Now, what is GIS? GIS is all about solving spatial problems in our world, from local to global scale. What do I mean by spatial problems? I mean any problem that has to do with the where question. Where are the fire hydrants in my community? Where are natural hazards, earthquakes, volcanoes, floods, etc., occurring over space and time? How do they affect communities? What about potential sea level rise and its impact on coastal lands. What about energy, water, migration, etc.? Human health, they all have a where component and hence they can be studied, analyzed, and solved with the use of geographic information systems. Now, GIS is composed of several key ingredients, if you will. Hardware, software, and that software, by the way, is increasingly up in the cloud or on the web. Data, spatial data, maps, satellite images, etc. Also real-time feeds from the Internet of Things. Tools, methods, how do I figure out what the 100 or 500 year floodplain is in my community? So tools and methods. And people, networks of people making a difference, solving problems in a decision-making environment in government, nonprofit, private industry, from local to global. GIS is a key technology for our 21st century world. As we have increased pressure on the environment, as we have increased population, we have to grapple with and deal with and solve these spatial problems, again, from a local to global scale. GIS is all about critical thinking, spatial thinking, and making our world more sustainable, healthier and happier. Thanks. Okay, folks, let's dig deeper now into what GIS is and why and how it can be used in education. We're going to focus on modern web-based GIS, and we're going to start with a couple of web mapping applications. In this case, the Water Balance app. Running on the web, no login or software required, and note Per my point about it being fed by the Internet of Things increasingly, I can use this as a teaching tool. If I click in the Amazon, I see not a summer and winter, but a wet season and a dry season. I can foster data fluency in looking at the X and the Y axes, southern Libya, whole months of the year with no precipitation at all. What ecoregions, what population, what agriculture does it support? I can see in southeast Texas some big spikes corresponding, hmm, they are in August, corresponding to some major tropical storms and hurricanes roaring through there. So at multiple scales, you've got six variables all focused on a key issue of our time and indeed one of the SDGs from the UN, and that is water quality and quantity. 
another web mapping application that is out of the box, just uh, on the web that you can teach with, no login sign-in required. You've got this swipe capability with the Wayback imagery, terabyte loads of satellite imagery from local to global scale. But look at this. I can look at urbanization, in this case in Las Vegas, but it could be urbanization in Dallas-Fort Worth, in Beijing, Tokyo, uh, all across the world. I can also look at other issues. For example, look how in 2014 versus 2021, and I've got the capability as I'm doing right here to adjust the dates, I can look at declines in water levels for surface water. And if, again, what's where, why is it there, and why should we there is a major theme of using geospatial technology and spatial thinking. Wow. Well, then I've got a powerful change over space and time for agricultural expansion, water quality and quantity. Why should we care if water levels decrease or if glacial, glacial flows retreat? So here I'm looking at South Central Alaska and I can see some changes. In that particular one, it almost looks like the glacier, and indeed you do see that in cer certain places, are actually advancing. But in this case, looking at this glacier by Seward, I'm seeing massive amounts of retreating over just a few years. And I can also see little pieces of ice in that lake that's at the toe of that glacier. All right, another demonstration of GIS, ArcGIS Online. So you can add layers. I'll show you how to do that in a moment. But here we've got a global data set, the Human Development Index. I've got one layer in this map, very simple, but I can look at changes again over space and time. What is HDI? Why do we care about it? What kind of patterns, relationships, and trends do we see around the world over space and over time? Again, I've got a layer of data there. I can open the table. This is the I part of GIS. The G part is the map or the satellite image. It could be a 2D or, t or a 3D map. The I part is the information behind the map, and the S part links the I and the G together into a system. So here I've got, just like you have in Excel, I have the capability of sorting any of these data fields in ascending or descending order. I can also filter the data. Only show me countries with an HDI of at least 0.8 or less than 0.7, etc. I can do that with any data set. And indeed, I've got an essay describing 10 skills that if you get confident in using, panning and zooming, adding data, opening the data table, changing the symbology, you can do literally anything in this platform, in this ArcGIS platform. And so can your students. Now here, let's change the symbology. There's a couple of things we can do. Well, let's say we don't like those colors. We don't like the classification method. These are powerful tools that you've got at your fingertips. I'm not gonna have time to go into expression building, but you can build an expression. So foster some mathematical thinking while you're teaching about spatial thinking and geography and environmental issues and other things that we're delving into, natural hazards, equality, all sorts of things that you can investigate, again, from local to global scale. Here, I'm going to change this in various ways so that I can see maybe some patterns that I did not see with another type of symbology. Here I'm mapping it as a graduated symbol, so larger populations, larger human development index, whatever the variable is in a larger symbol, and a smaller value in shown as a smaller symbol. I'm going to change it back to a choropleth map, and again, if I don't like those colors for whatever reason, I have the option to change it to a predefined color ramp or choose my own. And I can also adjust these little arrows along that bar. I can change the classification method to quantile, natural breaks, standard deviation, etc. Classifying and 
symbolizing our very powerful tools. You got to think about the purpose of the map, the data that you're mapping, the audience for your map. And so you're fostering communication skills and spatial and critical thinking skills along the way. Here I'm going to just make a few last adjustments and now let's let's pop up a legend see what we've got. We've got a standard deviation map. So if you're teaching a little bit about statistics, then this could be a nice follow-on for, hey class, remember when we talked about standard deviation, mean, variance, uh, ANOVA, etc., whatever you're teaching, mean, median, and mode, and so on in the classroom. Let's look at another data set to show that this is multi-scale and lots of different themes available. Same platform, ArcGIS Online, I can add data from a table of data that I have, maybe latitude, longitude, or street addresses, but here I'm going to add some popular demographics from the U.S. Census Bureau, Decennial Census, and also from the American Community Survey. And in this case, I'm going to illustrate the whole idea of some of these layers are actually multi-scale in that there's not just zooming in and zooming out, but you're changing the geographic level of analysis. In this case, all the way from USA to state, county, zip code, tract, and block group. So as I zoom in, I'm seeing the block groups and I can symbolize those and look at the patterns there. I'm going to stick to county though at the moment. I'm going to change this field to, gosh, what do we have at our fingertips? What about median age? Again, anchor this in, hey class, let's conduct a poll of our class. What is the median age of our class? What's the median age of a whole county? How is that calculated? Etc. And even better, I think even more fascinating is, why does the median age vary so much by county or census tract, block group, etc.? And why do we care? Again, what's where, why is it there, and why should we care? Why should we care about median age? Give some examples about, hey, you're marketing a certain service or a product, a skateboard park versus a, a service for a retirement facility. You're going to look at different median ages in counties or census tracts or block groups to try to zero in to market your product or service effectively. Or if you're working for a health department, you're going to be looking at health variables and how does that relate to something like median age. Fascinating to be able to look at these patterns, but also talk about the reasons why these patterns exist. Why do the certain counties on the Great Plains in the USA, for example, why are they older than other counties? Why is North Central Utah and Southern Idaho younger than many other areas of the country? Lots of different reasons, historical, past and present, economics, perceptions, lifestyles, etc., behaviors. But it's just fascinating to be able to do this and look at these in a dynamic way, fostering inquiry as you're asking questions and delving into the whys of where. And again, this is ArcGIS Online. In this case, I actually am signed in because I want to be able to save my maps so that if the bell rings or if students are coming in on a Zoom session or whatever, online or face-to-face -face or hybrid, that I'm ready to go with these maps. And also, along the same lines, the students can save maps and be able to present the results of their findings to you and to their peers. You can also do some things in the new map viewer as I'm doing here with blending. So you're looking at transparency, setting the blending modes. You're seeing maybe two or three variables or maybe one variable and a base map at the same time. So again, you're trying to pick out why certain patterns exist across the landscape. At local to global scales, again, fascinating to be able to do this inside a web browser in ArcGIS Online. No software required. I'm starting to like this a lot better here. Ah, that is great. Okay, I could I could look at these data sets all day and ponder the whys of where. Maybe you can too. But we must we must move on. But again, just to reiterate, 
just like the other variables we've been looking at in this short workshop, we can open up the table for many data layers. Not every data layer has a table of data, notably satellite imagery, oftentimes raster data, image data does not have a data table associated with it because the way that the data is served in a raster versus a vector, vector being point line and polygon mode but many do, and again, you can sort any of these variables, you can filter, you can classify, you can make multivariate maps, you can make web mapping applications from these maps where you've got text and video and other supportive information to tell the story of median age or median income or diversity index or any other variable that we're looking at right here. I also wanted to point out that this same exact platform, ArcGIS Online, can be used for local studies, neighborhoods, or even on your own school campus or your university or community college campus. Here I've got some data collection zones that I wanted students at a middle school to collect, and so I've created some polygons on top of an aerial photo. The students went out and collected data on various things. Living and non-living infrastructure. Living infra infrastructure, shrubs, plants, grass, trees, non-living, drainage ditches, electrical boxes, light poles, parking bumps, etc. So they looked at those variables. They looked at the health of trees, the condition of trees, the type of trees, tree species. They looked at the different infrastructure on campus, storm drains and the other things that I mentioned earlier. And they mapped all those things. And so this map becomes a, a document that the students can take forward and future students that are in those grades can add to. They can look at changes over time of the condition of the trees or the condition of even built infrastructure. What's the condition of those bike racks or the recycling bins? Do we need to have those replaced, etc.? Are there enough recycling bins around the campus, etc.? But being able to do this is so powerful and being able to, once again, coming back to those same skills that we were touching on earlier when we were looking at other kinds of features, HDI, population, etc., you've got the same tools here at your fingertips so you can transfer what you've learned in those other lessons and those other data sets at different scales into this where we're looking at the type of object whether it's living or non-living and symbolizing them appropriately here at an extremely local level, a local scale. Again, you've got about 10 core skills in GIS that you nurture and develop and be confident in and you can apply those skills to any problem that or issue that you want to investigate across multiple disciplines science social studies math history etc so that's what I'm doing here with this particular middle school campus in a local neighborhood wonderful let's change scale again and look at another kind of variable and also I wanted to illustrate as I promised earlier how do I search for content to add to these maps well if you're using geo inquiries for example those layers are already pre-built so you don't actually have to add in this case tornado tracks like I'm doing right here I want to look at the group or the user that's creating these content layers so be critical of the data know where it came from who created it how often it was updated and so on but also taking a look at the where did the data come from, etc., in the metadata. So once I'm confident in I can use this, 
I can then look at a different kind of theme, in this case tornado tracks. What are the patterns across space, across time, across months of the year? How do they spread from January to, to December every year? How they ebb and flow from the Gulf Coast up to the north central part of the U.S. and then back down to the Gulf Coast from January to December every year? How do they vary in intensity? Why does south central Oklahoma seem to have a preponderance of wide tornadoes and also very intense tornadoes? Again, adding data is a very powerful thing. Now, as I indicated earlier, I've got three essays. What are the most important skills to nurture in teaching GIS? I'm just going to touch on those. Working with maps and layers, drawing and sketching, adding data, creating web mapping applications, performing analysis, etc. And then I also have, in that same set of 10 essays, I've got what are the 10 most important well, before I go there, let's talk about other skills worth mentioning. But what are the 10 most important educational benefits that GIS offers? You can read this for yourself, but as you probably suspect, spatial thinking, critical thinking, working with data, de developing data fluency, investigating real-world issues, problem-based learning, all those things that you and I love about ed education. Data fluency, community connections, field work, I love all these things, career pathways, content knowledge that you're fostering. Students as change agents, this to me is the most important thing. Students become change agents in their school and in their future workplace. And lastly, on this theme of 10, what are the 10 key strategies for teaching GIS? There's not just one way of doing this. There are numerous strategies that work, that educators have proved that works, but here are my themes that run across those different strategies. Make it holistic, make it relevant, make it interesting, make it field-based, multi-level, across disciplines. Make it so students can shine, explore, and grow. Give them some leeway, give them some freedom, make it visionary. Give them to think about problems and issues that are real and are ever-present in our society. So. Lastly here, I want you to think about my Spatial Reserves data blog. Not that it's the end-all be-all, but uh, my colleague Jill Clark and I wrote this book called GIS Guide to Public Domain Data, and every two weeks we update this blog about three things. Where can I find spatial data? How do I know if it's any good? And can I trust it? And societal issues about being critical of data about location privacy, about copyright, about other things, machine learning, data errors like you see here, other things that are interesting, they're bite-sized, classroom-ready essays that can spark discussion about, hey, just because it's easy to make these web maps nowadays, you need to be thoughtful about doing it. That's the whole point of this Spatial Reserves data blog. So I hope that's of help. That is a part of GIS. It's the data, it's the software, it's the hardware, it's the methods, and it's also the people. Lastly, let's discuss another component of modern web-based GIS, and that is connecting field apps, story maps, dashboards, and web mapping in powerful but accessible ways. For example, my walkability story map. I ask the students, rate these photographs that I've taken in terms of are they walkable or not. Inside this short story map that I've got about walkability. Why do communities care about it? What is walkability? Does it extend to people in wheelchairs, skateboards, etc.? It's not just people on foot. 
and why it matters for the environment, for human health, etc. Inside my story map, I have another component of the WebGIS platform, and that is a survey. Just like SurveyMonkey or Google Forms, you can configure these easily. You can drag and drop elements. In my case, is this place walkable or not? Rate it, describe it, where is it, and do you have a photograph of it? I have that survey inside my story map. And then the results are displayed on this live interactive map inside ArcGIS Online. I've got data behind each one of those points. As you can see here, the G part is the map, the I part is the information behind the map. In this case, I've got a photograph. Oh, look at the look at the companions I had on that particular walk in Australia. Good on you, mate. She'll be right. And inside my story map at the end, I have a dashboard. Now, everybody on the planet has seen the JHU COVID dashboard. This is the same technology that they used in that COVID dashboard. I've got a dashboard indicating how many surveys have been filled out, the pedestrian friendliness or unfriendliness of those points, some attributes and legend, a map, and some photographs that get people into walkability. So that's fascinating. Again, everybody's seen this particular dashboard and this gets feeds from CDC, WHO, local and regional and national governments. So it's got multiple feeds coming into it in this COVID JHU dashboard. My dashboard has one feed and that is from my survey. Now think outside the box. My survey was about walkability. Yours could be about weather, invasive species, water quality, noise, dangerous intersection in your community, public art, litter, community gardens. I mean, the sky's the limit, folks, what you could collect. And then don't just map it, but analyze it and then maybe take action about that issue that you're studying. So here it's connecting web maps, story maps, dashboards, and a survey all inside this. Another powerful message here is that it only took me about four class periods to create every one of these four elements. So I think that's, that's extremely important to note. They're powerful and they take very little time to actually drag and drop and implement. In sum, we have had a fast but I hope informative tour through what is GIS, how and why can I use it in my teaching and learning, and some concrete examples. ArcGIS Online, tools to collect data out in the field, web mapping applications, spatial analysis, story maps, dashboards, to help you to realize that these tools are accessible, they can help us to understand the complex world in which we live and engage students in meaningful activities. Thanks.